Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Hey, good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you for being here. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. If you'd like to follow along with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, you could take this one home with you, or if you know somebody who needs a Bible, you could take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you guys to have God's word in your hand throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter two, verses 19 through 22, and that can be found on page 977. Follow along with me as I read. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this church, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for, for being our Savior, Jesus. I pray that you would be with Jason as he brings the message this morning, that it would draw us nearer to you. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. I think we all know what it's like to be an outsider trying to become an insider, or maybe you like being on the outside. You don't wanna be brought in, but people are just so dang hospitable, they get you in there anyway. But uh, we moved here in 2014 to, to start this church from Oklahoma, and I lived in small towns my whole life, and there was probably only like three people that ever cut my hair from the time I was born until I was however old I was when we moved here, 30-something years old when we moved here from Oklahoma. And so I had my very first barbershop experience. And so barbershops, they're a whole vibe, man. I, who, who does the barbershop thing, go to the barbershop, maybe? Or, all right, fellas, you, you know, you, know what's, what, you probably know where I'm about to go. But I walk in a barbershop for the first time, I don't even know what to tell them. They're like, they're gonna ask me, how do you want your hair cut? I'm like, well, my mom used to do, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> But uh, so anyways, I, I walk in, I sit down, and we just all sit down, and all the guys look, you know, unhappy, <laughs> and it, all the barbers look really busy, and I'm like, do I tell them I'm here? Like, I have no idea how they're going to know who's next, and then I thought, maybe they just walk up to guys they like, and if they don't like you, you know, it just, you don't get your hair cut. I don't know how this works, and finally, after getting my hair cut for like six months, I realized, oh, these guys know they're, they're keeping tabs on who walked in. You don't take a number. You don't get like number five, number seven, or anything like that. It's just every once in a while, let's walk up, somebody go, are you ready? And then I learned like, you can pick your barber. Like, sometimes I'll say, you ready? And the guy's like, no, I'm waiting for John. And, and John's like, yeah, it'll be like, there's other five other guys waiting. Well, I'm like, well, I ain't waiting for anybody. And so then I just take the next available barber. And now I wait for John. But... uh. <laughs> But so there was a stretch where I was like trying to do the beard thing and uh, I was in a bind, I was in a hurry and I wanted my beard all trimmed up, shaped up and so I cheated on my barbershop and I went to a new barbershop here in town. And so I walk in and I just walk in and sit down like I own the place, like we do at the other barbershop and everybody starts yelling at me, you gotta take a number, you gotta take a number, you gotta get a number, what's your number? I'm like, seven, I don't know. I don't. So I realize you go and you walk in like it's the circus and you take out a little 
number and then you sit there and they don't tell you when it's your turn to get your haircut. You sit there and you wait and you watch this little scoreboard thing and then when your number pops up, you stand up and real confused and ask somebody, okay, where do I go now? Then you sit down and they don't ask you what you want, you just get a haircut at this place. So, But the beard was nice. Anyways, I'm not giving any names because you might be here from there and I'm just proud to give you my money because I don't have to cut my hair myself. But you know what it's like? Like You, you just kind of want to stand up and be like, listen, I've got this whole first impressions team. Bobby Boykin runs it. Like, If you could just give us a day to train your staff, like we would love to make everyone feel really welcome here. We think we could double your business. That or have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? You know? <laughs> So you know what it's like to be on the outside and just feel like, I don't know what's going on. This is the worst experience of my life. We've all had that doctor who's really great, but you can't stand the administrative staff, so you'd never send anybody there because working through them's a nightmare. But anyways, that sort of stuff. That's what Paul is, is writing about here in uh, the in the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, if you're new around here, our favorite way to teach through the Bible is to go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So that's why we're picking up in verse 19 today is we're picking up on a thought where Paul left off last week. Last week, he talked about Jesus killing the hostility between Jews and Gentiles or between the veterans and the rookies or the new people and the, uh, pe- the veterans who had been around for a while. And maybe some of you feel that at Grace Point even. Like, I can tell stories about some of my friends that started the church or still in the church, and maybe you, you would sometimes feel like, well, maybe I'm not a veteran member or I'm, or I'm not all the way in because I haven't, wasn't in on the first wave of growth. You're just as much in if you're a covenant member of Grace Point Church as someone who's been a member of this church for five, six, seven years. And so that's what Paul's writing about. He says, the hostility has ended. This, this moral hostility where, where God's people... Uh, in Israel, a Jewish custom were primarily known as a clean people. They had a dietary law, dietary restrictions. They lived a certain way. At least that's what the, the uh, cultural currency of their people were. And then there were Gentiles who were primarily seen as unclean. And uh, they, might, they might be known for sleeping around and worshiping their God in that way. Like their sex life and their church life was all wrapped up in the same thing. And so for them to become um, the people of God, there could have been this great division among the people that said, well, these are the Jewish Christians, these are the Gentile Christians. And what Paul is writing to say is, y'all are just Christians. You're all sinners. Some of you are self-righteous Christians. That's your, that's your sin. It's your hard to see your sin, but you see the sin of others. And some of you are more rebellious Christians. Uh, you can see your sin and you kind of see like you don't see the sins of other people. You find it hard to believe that God would love you and save you because you've been so bad. And then the self-righteous finds it hard to see the need of Jesus and the beauty of his work because they don't think they're so bad. And so that's what Paul does. He says, Jesus has killed the hostility and so there should be no pollution political hostility, no ethnic hostility, no moral hostility, no theological hostility. We should be able to uh, debate things. We should be able to uh, you know, have conversation, be, have diversity, be different in lots of ways, but be unified together under the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so what he's going to do this week is he's going to say, you've been saved from hostility toward one another, and you've been saved to hospitality or hospitality with one another. That's what he's going to get at in Ephesians chapter 2, 
verse 19. So let's go back and, and pick up. Uh, the reader did a great job, and we're, just, we're gonna read through there, but pause and just kind of reflect and, and talk about some of this stuff. So in verse 19, Paul writes and says, so then, and the so then is a reflection back on, since the hostility has ended, since Jesus has made us family, since Jesus has put away our differences and he's put away our division, we now have unity and we're one group of people. We're one church. So then you are no longer strangers but, and aliens, but your fellow citizens. So we'll just stop there for a minute. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the newest people to become Christians, the newest people to start be belonging and being a part of the church, people who might feel like they're still on the outside a bit. And Paul writes to say, like, yeah, I know that there's this great hundreds or thousands of year of heritage. This promise that goes all the way back to Abraham is a promise for you as well. The promise that Abraham will be the father of many nations, even though he was the father of one nation for a really long time, that promise is still being fulfilled throughout the church age. And you are citizens of this same nation. You're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you're fellow citizens. Now what's interesting is he's speaking spiritually, not physically. In the same way a couple of weeks ago, he said, y'all were walking around dead. Now not physically because they were walking around, but spiritually they were dead and they were made alive because of Jesus. What he's saying here is you were spiritually alienated. You were spiritually strangers. You were outsiders. You didn't share this culture of grace. You didn't share this language of grace, this gospel fluency. You were strangers and aliens, but now you are fellow citizens. And it's beautiful, the implication that he has on this. Like if you remember all that was read, he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're citizens. And then he says, also, you're with the saints and the members of God's household. And then he goes on to say, and this foundation of this holy dwelling place of God, he's basically saying that the way we relate to one another is like uh, citizens of a kingdom with a king. We're like brothers and sisters in a family with a dad. And then it's like so intimate and so personal that we're like stones put together making this dwelling place for God to dwell within us. It gets more and more intimate as Paul goes. I know Paul is known for like lofty theology and using run-on sentences and all that stuff, but he's also a great poet in this regard that he's using wonderful metaphors to try to let these people see that they were so far on the outside, but now they're so deeply connected. What has been done cannot be undone. And so the implications for us is that we are citizens of this same country and our king is dwelling in this country with us. And we get this imagery as we are together. Jesus is above us. As Jesus is above us, he's ruling and reigning and protecting, and he's not just the king of Israel, he's the leader of, of the church. The church that meets here, the church that meets in England, the church that meets in Africa, whatever all the continents are, like if you did good in geography, you could probably have helped me write this sermon, but that we share this king and we share this kingdom, and it's as though we are fellow citizens with a shared language. Now, if you feel this shared language and you've always spoke the same language as all the people around you all the time, you read that, you're like, yeah, yeah, what's the big deal? I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where you, your language is not the predominant language or if you've just tried to communicate with someone and you guys just, whether it's a thick accent or whatever it is, you're both standing there crying as grown men trying to understand one another. I've been there. Like, I'm the guy who tries to find a parking space and I turn the radio down so I can see it better. Like, that's me. Like, I'm the guy who whenever I can't understand what someone's saying, I start talking louder like they can't hear. 
<clears throat> I'm that, I'm like grandpa. I'm only 40, but I'm like, a, I'm in that regard. So I got to tell you this story. And I just want you to know, as I tell the story, I'm the butt end of the joke in this story. Okay. But if you've never felt this frustration, one day I'm at the house, doorbell rings, open the door. And there's a guy, he's a landscaper. He's parked in front of my house like he's in a hurry. He's pulling a trailer full of all of his tools and all of his stuff. And he rings the doorbell and I answer the door and I step outside and he goes, hello. And I said, hello. And he could, he can, me and him are like some, we have some shared words, but some words we did not share. Okay. And he says to me, and the best way I can understand, do you want a salad? And I am trying to understand. And I said, I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. And I am thinking like, maybe he was doing his work and he was in a, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he sells salad on the side. I don't understand. He starts pointing to what, I, to what I think is a tree by my driveway and says salad. And I'm like, you want to make a salad out of that tree? I don't know. So let's go look at it. So we walk over there and he's dressed for work. And my neighbor lady is leaving the house. Now in we have rocks between our yard and rabbits or something has been getting in our rocks and slinging them everywhere. They're all over the sidewalk. She's backing out of the driveway while me and him are standing there trying to understand one another. And she's backing out and she goes, what do you think is doing that? He thinks that she's chewing him out for not sweeping the sidewalk because he thinks that she thinks that he is my landscaper. And so he tells her, I did understand this, you broom. <laughs> like, you clean it yourself. And she goes, birds? You think it's birds? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, birds. And she says, okay, and drives off. So he looks back at me and he goes, okay, do you want a salad? And I, I'm like, man, I don't want one, I, but I know I, I'm the idiot, and, I'm, and he's so mad. He's so frustrated. I'm, a, I'm so embarrassed, and finally, he walks over to my son's car that has been sitting there for like three weeks because it's broke down. We hadn't fixed it yet. He puts his hand on it and says, salad, do you want to sell And I'm like, sell it. Sell it. Do I want to sell it? And he's like, yes, yes. And I'm like, no. No, <laughs> but thank you. So he gives me his card and he drives away. But I'm telling you, like I've been to Israel where I couldn't see my language anywhere and I've never hurt so much for another person and, and just thought, please don't hit me. Please don't hit me. I'm not jacking with you. I'm just that bad, you know? And so, but when we finally got on that same place, I know that's a funny story, but I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where like, hey, we're trying to have an important conversation and we, it's, it's not metaphorically that we're not on the same page. We literally can't understand one another. And what Paul is writing is you're in this same kingdom with this great king, and you can share the same language. And the language that we're sharing, I'm not talking about English or Spanish or whatever. I'm talking about gospel fluency, that the kingdom culture that we live in with this great king, as we get to speak over each other's life, remember that you are not the things that you've done. And you are not the things that have happened against you. You are who Jesus says that you are, fully forgiven and fully accepted if you have trusted in his life and his death and his resurrection. That is powerful. We did not gather here today to guilt one another and remember how bad you were this week and how you need to do better this week. 
Yes, we're here to find our sin. Yes, we're here to confess it. Yes, we're here to repent, but we're also here to remember that our identity does not flow out of our performance, that we are not primarily performers for Jesus, making him look good in our city. Christ has come and done the work and he's given the credit to us if we'll trust in it by faith and he gives us an identity and now we go and perform from the identity that he's given us. And in fact, it's not really a performance. A performance is I do this thing to get an award. I do this thing to get rewarded. I outwork everybody to get promoted. I I do the work to get the grade. I throw better than everybody or my dad's the coach so I can play quarterback on the team. And in the kingdom of heaven, it is, no, this is who you are. Now you might be bad at this. You might fail, you might sin, but ultimately this is your identity. You are a forgiven man, you are a forgiven woman. You are innocent, you are made righteous because by faith you trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and it sent you from being an alien without citizenship, just a person dwelling in this land with no rights, with no shared language, with no shared boundaries and no no protection, no provision and now you are citizens with a king and you can speak gospel fluency into each other's life. And he says, with the saints and the members of the household of God. So it's one thing to share a nation with one another. It's another thing to share a home with one another. And that's what he says, that you have been saved and made members of the household of God, where where our great king, where our father is not just our king ruling over us, but he's sharing a home and he's among us. He's with us, like a dad, loving and leading and providing and protecting for the family. Like a dad who works hard for us, provides for us, uh, doesn't just correct us, doesn't just connect with us, but also cultivates us, helps us to know where we're weak and help us to know where we're strong, sitting on the foot of our bed, praying for us, talking to us about life. Jesus doesn't need to do this, but a good dad, if you have a good earthly father who understands that he's not Jesus and points you to Jesus, may sit at the foot of your bed and confess his sins against the family that day and say, hey, I was a moody rascal today. Like some days you can play your guitar, some days you don't get to have a guitar. And it's not because you broke the rules, it's because I had a bad day at work and that's not okay. Like that's a good dad. We're brothers and sisters. Like I'll never forget uh, being in elementary school, I was three and a half years older than my brother, and we were divided, the big, the big kids, the little kids, by these cones on the playground. They had their big toy, and we had our big toy. All of our stuff was bigger, so the little kids wanted to come over and play with all the bigger stuff. And me and Daniel Walters both had little brothers the same age. Me and Daniel were the same age. And I remember my brother and his, and his little brother came over, and me and Daniel decided, we'll harass our little brothers. It'll be funny. And it was until he was like, all right, now I'm going to harass your little brother. And I was like, I don't think so, Scooter. So he runs by me, and I just like put my foot out, because I can't like be overly aggressive. I can't let it look like I did it on purpose. I had to passively trip him, let him fall to the ground. Like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad idea to chase my little brother. I, I don't know. But that's, we have this... Um, This family bond, there's this thing that brings us together that's tighter than our affinity, it's tighter than our political views, it's it's tighter than the hobbies and interests that we have and our kids being the same age and playing on the same teams. All of that stuff is good stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong to have hobbies or wrong to have friends that the only reason you you, you meet together once a year to go on the elk hunt or whatever it is you're doing, that's okay. But the way that Jesus has saved us to the church is so much deeper than that. It's stronger than an affinity. It's stronger than, than who we think the president ought to be. 
It's that we have a king, his name is Jesus. We have a dad, his name is God the Father. And he's a good dad and he's made us family. So we sit at the same table, we eat his food, we drink his drink, we sleep in his home and we're protected and provided for by him. But not only that, he says, we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So this church, Grace Point Church, is rooted, man. We are, have deep roots, not just in the Southern Baptist Convention and the Baptist churches that planted us out of, uh, I know every time I say that, y'all are like, we're Baptist? How'd that even happen? I didn't even know that. Like, yeah, man, we're, we totally are. And we're not just connected to um, a convention. We're not just connected to you know, North American roots. This goes all the way back to the apostles and the prophets. We're built on that foundation. Christ himself being the cornerstone. The reason the church has existed all these years, even though there's been attempts to destroy the church, is because we are rooted and we rest in and on and have been built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the, can't you see this? The way that we relate to God is very, very intimate. To Christ is very, very intimate. He's like our king, and we are his kingdom and people. And the way we relate to another is like neighbors. And then he's our dad, and we share a home. And the way we relate to one another is like brothers and sisters. And then he says, we're this body. He calls us a building, but it's a metaphor for a body. And like we're one body. We're like one. We share one body with Christ, the cornerstone, and this is the dwelling place of God. And so we're like stones. If you're going to build a building back in this day, this is before steel structure and all that sort of stuff, you would, you would you know, set up, build, lay a foundation, set the cornerstone, everything would be built upon the cornerstone, and you'd use stones. And stones are so, like every stone's a little bit different, but it's so close together. You're not just like bedrooms apart. Our hearts are just so deeply connected. That's vulnerability. That's transparency. That's intimately connected to Jesus and connected to one another. We are the dwelling place. Like he is the, he's not just our spirit, or, or he's not just our dad, he's not just our king, but he's also our identity is what Paul is saying. When somebody sees us, they see the building of Christ, they see the body of Christ. When someone looks into our life, that he's our identity, he's the essence of who we are because he dwells within us. Now, you may not get to appreciate that. That may seem metaphorical to you. Whenever we say that God is with us and he lives in our heart and we've asked him into our heart, I know that that can sound kind of a, a bedtime story-ish or chicken noodle soup for the soul or like metaphors for, for other things. Like I'll never forget asking someone who's a super gifted leader, like how would you explain vision? And they just kept using metaphors, like looking over the hill to know what's next, looking around the corner to see what's there. Finally, I was like, look, forget it. You know, <laughs> like if you can't explain it, forget it. And that's not what we're doing when we say that the spirit of God dwells within us. He literally dwells within us. When Christ lived, died, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, and 3,000 at least people were saved and the church was born and the church expanded and the gospel was preached person by person, whoever believed by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what they would end up doing is admitting their sin. We call this the ABCs. They could see their sin and admit it. They could see the beauty of Christ, not just the usefulness of Christ, but the beauty of Christ, that he's their savior of their sin. 
They would believe in his life, death, and resurrection. And the C would be confess that he's the Lord and leader of our life. So that is not performance, that's worship. So we begin to change because we worship Jesus. The promises, the Holy Spirit of God then dwells within us. He gifts us, he preserves us. There's something new about us. There's a transformation. So we're not just nice to people that we hate. We love people like deeply love people. We don't just use people anymore. We want things for people. We don't need things from people. We want something for people. And so it has implications for our marriage. It has implications for the way we parent. It has implications for the way we run our business and work our jobs and love our neighbors and pay our taxes. Like it impacts so many things because we've been transformed from the inside out. We're not just conforming and modifying to some kind of behavioral modification to get some kind of gold star by our names, we've been changed from the inside out. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. To give you some context for this, the difference between creator and creation is the holy, purity, righteousness of God. And we are fallen, broken, unholy, sinful people, okay? So there's a time in the Old Testament where God is having this moment with Moses and uh, God is revealing himself in the form of, of a giant presence and talk, communion with Moses. And Moses says, I want to see you. And he's like, you can't see me. If you see me, you'll die. And so he's like, well, I don't want to see you. He's like, well, here's what I do. You hide in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, it's weird, but he says, you can see my backside. I know that's weird. So he sees the backside of God and it says that his face glows. Like he looks like an alien, he looks weird. He goes down to be with the people and they're like, Moses, you look funny. It's because the glory of God was radiating off of him, okay? He was like radioactive in the same way that you cannot go vacation on the sun. You can't do that. You'll die if you get in too much proximity to the sun. That's the glory of God, okay? So there's another time in the Old Testament where the presence of God literally... The presence of God is now with his people. He's with us today. Wherever we go is the presence of God. I want you to know that we have uh, set this building aside. We consider this a sacred space, not a secular space. We've prayed over it. We've uh, dedicated it to the work of the Lord. But I want you to know, like, God don't live in this thing. Like, God shows up whenever the staff comes into work, when I'm up here writing a sermon, when we gather together to, to worship Jesus. Like, it's not different than your home. It's not, it's not like a different place because, because this is where God lives. God lives in us. We gather up here. That's what makes it a holy, sacred space. Because you are the holy, sacred space. Because that's where the presence of God dwells. So, in the Old Testament, it was in one place. And that one place was in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And before they had, you know, they were like a set-up, tear-down church for a long time. They had a tabernacle and tents and all that sort of stuff. Before they moved into Jerusalem and established in Israel and had the temple, they were the tabernacle. And they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant around one day, and one of the uh, Israelite soldiers saw that it was gonna fall, and he went to steady it. And as he went to steady it, he touched it, and he died. Now you read that and you can kind of be like, golly, God, what's your deal? He was well-intentioned. It's like, look, I made the world a certain way where holiness cannot have anything to do with unholiness in the same way that if you try to play with electricity, you'll die. That's just the way I made the world. And so the, the way that holiness and unholiness comes together is through a sacrifice, through an atonement, through propitiation, through the wrath of God being absorbed. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus has done for us. 
So that the God who, if we would have touched him and been in his proximity in the Old Testament, we would have died. Now we're made alive because Christ died in our place. So what does this mean for us? This means that church is not just a place for us to be patriotic about our faith. It's not just a place to gather up and share meals and our affinities together. It's the dwelling place of God, the presence of God within the people of God, putting on display the power of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I hope that there are men in this church who would aspire to live like elders in this church who would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus said that we will see him like he, we are his body whenever we're doing good works, good deeds in his name, motivated by the work that God has done in our own heart. So we should be deeply connected to Jesus and deeply connected to one another. That's hospitality. You are welcome into my life. I am welcome into your life. This is hospitality. This is vulnerability where you have to trust people with information about yourself if they're really gonna know you, this, this requires transparency where your Bible is open, but also your life is open, that you're an open book, that you're intimately connected to Jesus and intimately connected to one another. And that's just something you can't fully accomplish standing shoulder to shoulder on Sunday. Now, the tool we give you at Grace Point Church for this is community group. But I want you to know, I'm not just trying to get you in a group so that we can get our numbers up. What I want for you is true gospel community. I want you to enjoy what Paul writes about, that this is what you're saved to. This is what you're saved for. He's made you like this. This is what you have. And so you don't have to go try to make this happen, conjure this up like this is what you have. This is the way in which you've been saved from hell, for the mission of God, to the church. And so this is one of those things you don't have to force, you just let it happen. How do you let it happen when somebody says, well, how are you doing? You're honest, you know? Now, you don't wanna be the guy who's always like, like sometimes you need to just repent of being, you know, Eeyore. (laughs) But if it's not good, it's not good. Surely there's somebody within the family of God that you can say, hey, I'm not okay, can we talk? Like that's, that's what this is for. We're not just here to try to be a little bit smarter than we were yesterday a little bit more moral than we were yesterday. Um, do, do a little more good deeds than what we had done the day before. But this is a place to be deeply known by Jesus and deeply known and cared for by one another. And so we have tools for that. I'd love for you to stop by the info table after service and say, I need help with that. Or maybe you just say, I don't even know how to, like some people are like, you don't understand, I'm introverted. I know, man, I am too. I am too. It makes me really, really tired to do that. But this is what he's called us to do, what he's called us to be. You need people in your life that you can open up your life and open up your Bible. And when you do that, they're not just gonna point out spots that you know need to change, but you haven't got around to it yet. You have blind spots, like people are watching your back. And so you, like, you want that, like when you leave town, you want your neighbors watching your house, right? Well, your soul is even more important than that. You want somebody, you know, hey, I see the tone in which that you speak with your kids or your spouse, or I, I notice that you never have someone who's lost that you're praying for. I notice that you don't have any conversations about Jesus with people. Um, I notice you're really passionate about politics, but it, it doesn't seem like you have that same zeal and passion for other people meeting and knowing Jesus. Hey, I, I noticed that... Uh, uh, you're gone a lot. We don't see you at church much, but we're like a family. We miss you. Like, this isn't just like, you know, um, the library where we come and go. We have cards here. Like, we're a family, and, and when you're not here, we hurt, and we miss you. Like, let's, 
Let's play offense in each other's life. Let's, let's be the church in the way that Paul describes here. Let's relate to Jesus in this way, that God is, he's our great king. We share in this kingdom like neighbors. He's our dad. We share this home like brothers and sisters, but also we're the body of Jesus, like stones knit together to the cornerstone. Not a lot of space uh, to hide from one another. Open Bibles, open lives. Let's pray.